Hi, before we get going on this episode, I wanted to share with you a little bit about a webinar that I'm going to be presenting at. It's called Preparing for the CAPM. In that webinar, I will be sharing information about the CAPM exam. And for those of you that don't know what that is, the CAPM exam is a test that you take to become a certified associate in project management. Now, this webinar will provide you with some information about the value of obtaining the CAPM certification, provide a path for you to successfully prepare for the CAPM, and help you to overcome your fears about taking that exam, as well as secrets of understanding the PMBOK and hints and tips about taking PMI exams. Now, to register for this free webinar, go to sensiblepm.com slash capmwebinar. That's sensiblepm.com slash C-A-P-M webinar. I'll be presenting this webinar on two different dates, December 17th and December 19th, 2015. So please go sign up today. All right, let's get to this episode. I'm Jared Coffin, and I'd like to become a project manager. You're listening to the Sensible Project Manager podcast, episode 29. Today's topic, Project Communications with Elizabeth Heron. Welcome to the Sensible Project Manager podcast at SensiblePM.com, where you get an insider's edge on practical project management. Now, here is your host, Mark Phillips. Welcome to the Sensible Project Manager podcast. My name is Mark Phillippe, and I am the Sensible Project Manager. This is the podcast that helps new and aspiring project managers, as well as seasoned PMs, take a practical approach to project management. Now, you have found the Aspiring Project Manager Mentoring Series, which is a series that started uh, several episodes ago, episode 24. If you want to go to sensiblepm.com slash 24, you can see the very beginning if you're new to this series. If not, you've been following along. And in this series, I have been helping Jared Coffin, who wants to become a project manager, uh, to develop the skills that he needs to have and, and the confidence to be able to become a project manager. We've had several sessions with Naomi Cayetti, and during that time, she has helped Jared identify a personal development plan. And as a part of that plan, we found out that Jared has a concern about being able to communicate. It's a skill that he would like to be able to develop a little bit better. So to help Jared with this, this goal of his to become a better communicator, I reached out to Elizabeth Heron, who many of you probably know from A Girl's Guide to Project Management. She is a an award-winning project management blogger. She won several awards in the past. In 2008, 2009, 2010, she won the project management category of the Computer Weekly IT Blog Awards. And in 2010, she won the Computer Weekly's Blogger of the Year, as well as in, in 2011, the IT Professional Blogger of the Year. So if you haven't read her, her work, uh, you can certainly see it. She's very prolific as a blogger and love reading her, her perspective on things. She is also the director of the Otobus Group, which is a project management communications consultancy organization. She's also authored several books, and she also told me during this session that she's working on another book. So she's a very busy lady. So for this session, Jared had prepared several questions about communications and how to improve himself as a communicator, as well as how to apply that to project management. And Elizabeth and I helped answer those questions. So let's get started. So Jared, if you were to rate yourself as a communicator, how would you rate yourself? Do you feel like you're a good communicator? 
I think I've gotten better over the years. And I would put, I guess if I were to rate it, I would put myself kind of in the middle, like a, say a scale of one to 10, I'd say like five. And I guess that's, uh, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm always up for, uh, just learning and improving and, uh, seeing how people perceive, you know, the uh, message that's being sent. Okay. And then if, if you feel like you're right in the middle, what do you think are your strengths as a communicator? Well, I, I, as a communicator, I think I, I show, I put a little bit of emotion into a, uh, into a topic when I explain it. And I see people when I, when I introduce them to a new product or, or a, uh, idea, you know, I, I looked, I, I make sure there's no watery eyes, but I, I see that they are, a lot of people are receptive to that. And if they're not, um, as long as I can pick that up in time, I can go a different route. Okay. So you're, you feel like you're pretty good at reading the reception of, of anything that you're communicating out. Yeah, I uh, like I can look around a room and and see uh I think that's a strength. I can tell whether people are on board or they just totally disagree. Okay. And then I'm going to ask the other end. Where do you think that you're shy or you're short on being a good communicator? I think it is translating the um say if it's a tech project, translating the uh techies like I'm um, speaking to say developers and putting that into words for the stakeholders and and executives. Okay. So it's the translation of the tech tech type of information to uh, the higher level, the management and or stakeholders. And I'm assuming maybe whatever communication that they might be feeding back to the team, you feel like you would have a tough time with that as well. I think that definitely needs practice and it it's just there there's vast uh, personality types and I I always have to tailor a message to that personality type. Okay, very good. So you've put together uh looks like about 8 or so questions. Let's go ahead and dive into those. Okay. I think the uh the first one is balance of time communicating with the stakeholders and team on um, and not having the experience of going from day to day as a project manager, I'm thinking what is the best besides out of necessity, uh, the, the best time to spend with both stakeholders and the team and, and how often, I guess in that, in other words, how often do I report to stakeholders without being annoying, but also being informative? Yes, I see what you mean. Well, I would say first that the team are stakeholders. So I don't think it's as easy to split it to split it like that in terms of how much time you spend with the team and how much time you spend talking and communicating with other people. And also, I suppose so I, I look at everybody as a stakeholder, even even myself, and I think hmm. as a project manager you're a stakeholder because you have a vested interest in the outcome, as do your team, because if it all goes badly then obviously it reflects badly on on you and, and um if it goes well then all the you know, team can celebrate together. So also the other thing to bear in mind is what they need to hear the whole everybody or receive changes as you go through the project life cycle. So the rule that I could give you for the delivery phase, which would be, you know, I, I, I tend to report once a week to my uh, project sponsor would not, that would not be the case in initiation 
or earlier phases of the project and your stakeholders are different as well. So, for example, in the initiation phase, I would say you spend a lot more time communicating to your key customer and your project sponsor and probably the PMO as well. And it's different things that you're communicating. So you're not exactly doing standard reporting. You're trying to communicate around benefits, the business case, success criteria, setting up your org structure. But then as you get into, and the rest of the team doesn't perhaps exist then, so then as you get through planning and delivery and you're adding more people to the project team, then your communication needs for that group changes. So I think I've probably hedged the question by not actually answering it. But do you see what I mean? As, as you as you go through the project management lifecycle, the kind of things and the people that you're communicating to are changing. And you've got to flex as you go. I I see it. It really, it it varies. It varies a lot. As you go through, as you learn more about the project, you get closer to a certain phase or a certain part of the project and, and you know just more, you know more about it and then know, yes. know what to communicate. Yes, I would say as a, as a rule of thumb for the, the main bulk of your delivery, um, a weekly catch up with the team and a weekly touch in, touch base with the, with the um, main customers. But then you're, you're going to have other stakeholders like maybe the PR department who aren't going to want to know anything until you get close to the end when they'll perhaps be communicating out more publicly for you. So come back to your stakeholder mapping. And we, we tend to do communications planning where we'll look at who needs to receive what messages when. And I just do it out as an Excel spreadsheet with the months down the side and the messages. So in each month I will have a big board report uh, or and four small weekly reports and then there might be something else that's going in there because I know there's a, a roadshow happening or a big presentation and towards the end the stakeholders will drop in around um, you know end user training whereas perhaps we've only worked with a smaller group of, of end users earlier in the project as we move on towards the end we're doing more communication outs for a wider group and it's different kind of communication it's very hard all of project management is very subjective actually it's quite hard to say you must report once a month to mm -hmm. these three people because everything's different. So, Jared, she mentioned her communication plan. Do you understand what what she's talking about there specifically? I I'm starting to get the gist of it. It seems like it has to be formalized a little bit, and um, you know, I'm kind of visioning now, not not very clearly clearly because I haven't done it, but you know how it can be laid out on a spreadsheet. There's a communications plan, which I think is. I would say would be the document that describes how you're going to communicate. And on a spreadsheet, I would just call that my communication calendar. Maybe plan was a bit misleading. But um, and I can then translate the major deliverables from that. So, for example, on one of my projects, I do a monthly newsletter that goes out to all senior managers. I don't know if they look at it, but it's one of the things that we're using. They can print it out and put it on team notice boards is the, is the reason. And so I block out. I can look forward in my Excel spreadsheet calendar these are the things that I've got coming up and I can block out the time then in my diary to actually produce that communication asset because otherwise I get to the end of the month and I go, ah, I've got no time to write this two-page newsletter which needs pictures and interviews with people who work on the project team and all that jazz. And so if I block the time out in my calendar, then I actually get round to writing it. You have to block that time out uh, pretty far pretty far in advance, I would presume, because because everything just comes... Things will start to happen 
Yes, I do that a lot, actually. Book, book meetings with yourself for the things that you know that you need to keep time for. So I have a recurring 20 minutes in my calendar every Friday for weekly reporting. It also serves as a reminder because then the little alert pops up <laughs> saying you need oh. to do this. <laughs> it's perhaps not the most efficient way to manage my tasks, but it, for me, it works. And I'm sure that there's different ways that you can manage your tasks and your to-do list. But one of the things I've found in, a, in one of my early jobs, actually, as a project manager, if I didn't block out time to actually do work, I would just be in meetings all day. And some <laughs> days it was so bad that I wouldn't get a lunch break. And so I started blocking out 12 till 1 just so that I got a break in the day. And that from there, it sort of spiraled into, yes, but I need to do my risk reporting. So I'm going to put in half an hour to remind myself to do that. And the same with communications. Now, I want to add something here. The communications plan, is, I think, is really important so that you can identify who needs to know what, what information mm -hmm. and when. And as you go through, and Elizabeth also mentioned her the stakeholder analysis. Once you understand that's your stakeholders and you can then identify what communications they need. Remember, at each each stakeholder might have a different need. So executives, for instance, might need to have information at a higher level, of course, as opposed to your team members. And your communication to each type of individual or stakeholder is going to require possibly a different type of communication. Elizabeth, do you have anything you wanted, you can add to that? It's being aware to the needs of the people that you're working with. And at a very simple level, the, the more senior they are, the less they want to hear about the detail. And it, it comes back to, Jared, what you were saying about being able to communicate with the people in a language that comes naturally to them. So when the, the more senior they are in the organization, the more they want high-level facts and figures in a language that they can understand. Whereas, obviously, if you're talking to a technical development team about a particular task or a work package, you can use much more technical language. They'll know what you're talking about. They will expect you to communicate like that, and they want all the detail. Now, going back Put to... Put yourself in the other person's shoes, really. That's all it is. That's a great way to look at it. Going back to your point, your answer to the question, you think you might have a challenge with doing that translation. That is a skill that you really need to pick up on and and you will through time being able to to know what level of communication needs to go to the stakeholders and which you know each of your stakeholders that's an important thing to learn and provide them what they need and not more than what they need because sometimes that will drown them but definitely make sure that they are getting what they're that they need to have at their level and the easiest way to find that out is to ask them. So if you do get into a habit of weekly reporting or face-to-face -face reporting, talking to your stakeholders, do it for a couple of weeks and then ask if it's what they wanted. And if it's not what they want, they will tell you. That's a great point. Yeah, I see about that. With the, I mean, in the past, uh, there were times when, you know, I'd be the sole developer and you, you'd speak to, it was a small company, so you have to, you have to uh, take out, certainly take out the techies and, and try to uh, tailor it for the, for, for the top level. And uh, that took a little practice, but, <laughs> you, you know, you learn quickly, I guess, especially with a small company. All right. All right. Fire another question. The second one here is, I guess, when communicating with the stakeholders or the people who are giving you the requirements of the project, 
you have to be firm that this is what we want, get all the requirements. I, I think this is more of a question on scope creep. What's the best way to be firm with the stakeholders or, or the, um, or okay. the one administering the requirements as to not, not change it or change their mind constantly? Yeah. When I read this question too that you provided, it does center around scope. Really, what I think maybe if I can translate that a little bit, how do you communicate to stakeholders, especially you're asking specifically for requirements, but how do you stay firm on a position, whether that be requirements, making sure that we're not scoping in more than what is supposed to be in that project, but it also, I would think, could extend to other communications you might have. So, for instance... On the other end, if you have a developer that's trying to add some additional functionality that doesn't need to be there, how do you communicate that to them? So, Elizabeth, do you have any, any comments on that? On how, how do you, how do you stay firm with your communications in those types of situations? I think it's around setting expectations. So at the beginning, at the beginning of the project where you're eliciting requirements, it doesn't matter what they say really they can talk and and make the scope as big as they want um it's what happens afterwards isn't it that's where you get your scope creep so you agree what's realistic to do with the money and the time and the things that you have and you say this is this is the scope that we've now got and that's what we're going to stick to so set the expectation that you will deliver to that scope make sure everybody feels they've had enough opportunity to say their piece so their requirements are included and if they're not included make sure people understand why as a team, you've chosen to leave those requirements out so you don't get them asking the same questions again later on. And then I suppose the question is, how do you deal with people who come up with, ah, but what if we could just do this and you're already six weeks into your development? I think as a project manager, we we face that a lot. And there's two ways to handle it. One way says you say no, absolutely no changes. I think that's a dangerous precedent to set. The approach I would take would be to say, well, let's scope it. If we do it, it's going to cost us £20,000 and add six weeks to the timescale. Let's bring that back to the table and get everybody, including our project sponsor, to agree that they need to put up the money and delay the go live. And I think you can get away with do Well, it's not get away with. You can incorporate that good change management practice into your project. But there will always come a point where you're very, very close to the end and somebody wants to add more things on more things in their goal plating and you're never going to see the end of this project. And that's where you have to be firm and be assertive. And you have a mandate to get this work done. And that's happened to me. And I would, and I said, no, <laughs> we will just, let's, it's too late now to add that. We're practically at the end. It's going to be too costly or whatever it is. As a team, we decide, we, we, my recommendation is that we do not do this and we do not do it. But we put those good ideas on a list and we do a phase two of this project and we introduce new functionality or new whatever later because often people come up with ideas because they're good ideas just didn't have them three months ago but you've you know there might be a very good business reason why you want to actually do that you just can't do it right now because it's going to disrupt this particular project too much and i would add that I, i love the word you said early and that is setting expectations you as a project manager is really important for you to set expectations what the plan is if you're communicating what that plan is and when changes are requested, 
you have to be able to craft the the story back to the stakeholders of saying, okay, if you want this change, which is a, probably a valid change, this is the impact of introducing this change, whether it's time, budget, or quality. It could be any of those. And, and so you have to be able to communicate that back of what that impact is. And sometimes they'll make the decision, okay, this is something that is worthwhile and we don't mind pushing off our release. And other times they'll say, oh, you're right. It's not worth it. We'll add it later on in the second phase. But that that upfront communication, you you really are the one that is communicating that story and setting those expectations. Yes. And I I suppose um, if if there is a weekly meeting, then the uh, the new features will you know people will come up. I think we've all we've all experienced even with. You know, my not having any really project management experience have, have experienced like every, practically every week somebody can come up with a new feature and idea. And, and I guess that uh, guilty is charged too. I, I, you know, I can see the developers also saying, well, this would be a good thing to put in, but it's amazing if you let that, if you let scope go, I mean, if you let the, if you don't control that, you can take you know, even the smallest project that takes a day and, and have it last a whole, you know, maybe a couple of weeks. Yes. Does that answer the question? It does. Yes. Okay. If I guess I'll just, uh, finish off the, go through the rest of the questions. Meetings, uh, let's question for meetings, uh, duration and how often held. Um, I think you did answer that question, Elizabeth, with, uh, once a week, which, which seems like a, a good uh, frequency. I'd say have them as infrequently as possible because nobody likes going to meetings. So the less meetings, the less meeting time you have to spend, easier it will be. But you've obviously got to take a judgment call. And in the early days of a project, it's useful to have much more face-to-face or online virtual team meetings because you've got to get everybody on the same page. But as you get more established with your team, you may find that they, they can drop off. Yeah, so so that it also depends on what kind of project you're working on and and the availability of your team. So for instance, if you're on an agile project, you know, you're not strictly a, I guess a project manager if you're but playing that role as maybe a scrum master or something like that, in the agile world, you have daily stand-ups, but they're very exactly. short and to the point. And so whether you know, really, really, you put together, you have the meetings that are necessary, but not, get rid of anything that's not necessary and only spend the time to be able to help facilitate the communication. Get it done and get out of there. Don't waste people's time. And then I will add one of the, one of the techniques that, uh, one of the things that's bothered me before on meetings is the ineffective use of meetings, covering things that you don't need to and what do you do with people when they show up late? We can have a whole discussion about meetings themselves, but one of the one place that I used to work at, there it was a habit for people to show up ten minutes late, and it wasted everybody's time. Mm-hmm. Uh, another place I worked at, the president of the company, he had a policy that if you had a meeting with him, he had a jar at the entrance of the of the room, and if you were late, 
you would put a dollar in for every minute you were late. And, That's a good idea. And that got people on time to, to the meeting. I'm a, I'm a firm believer if you get, get in there, get the things done that you need to, have an agenda, have the right communication that's happening. And then if don't let the meeting drag on, if you've covered the objective of the meeting. I remember uh, one time in the past, we had uh, weekly meetings and there was somebody with a stopwatch and they, they set it at an exact time. And it, I think it was about half an hour and they would stop on time and say, say that's it. That's very strict, but sometimes I think with a project, I mean, it happened to me just this week. We, we booked a meeting for two hours with lots of people. We worked through, we were going through some very complicated technical requirements. And halfway through the meeting, we realized that actually we'd uncovered a major problem or not a problem, but a major discussion point or something that we hadn't considered before that we needed more thought about and that we needed maybe three quarters of the people to stay, stay longer than our allocated time and if we had that very strict stopwatch approach and said okay it's one o'clock that's it meeting over Hmm. we would have left a lot of unanswered questions but the way that was handled the chair of the meeting said you know we we know we've got some this meeting has raised a lot of interesting points that we need to discuss further who's available to come back later as we all happen to be in the same location let's take a quick break for lunch reconvene half an hour later and the people that needed to and that could stayed on and carried on discussing other people had other commitments that meant that they couldn't do that so i think there needs to be some flexibility but if it is just a general status catch up and you've you've covered all the topics then i agree the faster the better the more infrequently the better as long as that meets your needs for getting the job done that makes sense so it again it depends and and shouldn't be hard and fast but it, 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 yeah, it depends on the topic. So I definitely understand that. Okay. Then, um, I've got, uh, asking about, uh, forms of communication, whether it's email, phone, text. I guess which it, they're, they're all preferable at some point, but, um, what's the proportion? What, I suppose, what are, uh, what are the favored methods used? I guess it depends on the, uh, the, the situation. I think you've answered your own question there. Normally, what you do is work out what the message is, who you're telling it to, and then work out what tool you use. So, for example, I don't do this any longer, but one of my stakeholders used to really like a really complicated Excel spreadsheet as a weekly report. Fortunately, we don't use that template any longer, but that would be great for him. Not so great for somebody who's trying to look at it on an iPhone because it's just going to display terribly. Equally, for some people, I know that if I'm just, if if the message is, I've arrived for the meeting, where are you? Text is fine. But look, I think you look at what the message is and who's getting it because you want to make it as easy as possible for other people to understand what you're saying. So if you've got people that you know don't use email or that would prefer not to use your online collaboration tools or whatever it is you've got, then you've either got the chance of saying, well, I'm going, I'm emailing everyone else, I'll just copy them in. Or I'll email everyone else and I'll ring that person because it's really important that they get the message and I know that phone is their preference and they won't necessarily pick it up if I send it on an email. So it's more work for you as a project manager. It really is. But it has to come down to what your end goal is. And the end goal has to be, normally in communication, it's for someone to do something or for someone to understand something. And you need the tool that's going to get that end result for you. Does that make sense? 
It does make sense. It's um, it's kind of like if you you can email and have a correspondence and or maybe an instruction in the email. If it doesn't make sense on the second iteration or return, um, I guess pick up the phone. Yes, I think it's Phil Simon who's who's made popular the three email rule. If you haven't, if you're bouncing back three emails, then you call. Um, well, I think we've got a little bit longer in our company than that, but generally, that's a, I think that's that's good sensible advice. The more you're batting back, especially if the conversation's starting to get a bit prickly or complicated, and especially if you've got non-native English speakers on the email trail, it can often be easier to have a conversation or to try something else. Try a diagram. If your instructions aren't working as text, what could you do with screenshots? That's a great rule. If you, you know, you, if you do see some emails that are bouncing around, I used to work with a, a project manager. He was pretty straightforward on things and he had a saying that sometimes you just have to get all the liars in the same room. And so <laughs> sometimes when you, when you really are seeing things bouncing around, you're not getting to a conclusion on a form of communication you're using. If possible, face-to-face, get them all in a room, and then you can really uncover something in, in 15, 20, 30 minutes that would have taken days to, yes. to get to. So just remember that. Just, you're, you're the facilitator of those communications, and uh, you have to take charge on, on that. If you want a general rule of thumb, I would say face-to-face is always the best, and then phone calls, and then written communication. Agreed. Okay. I think you, you were mentioning Excel, Excel spreadsheet. I, one of my questions here was, uh, what, what tools, what best tools, uh, for communication? I guess it could be anywhere from meeting to actual software. And it, it sounds like an Excel spreadsheet, uh, as you said, or diagrams is, is very effective for that. Yes. I think again, it comes back to, your communications plan and who you're trying to reach because I also mentioned that we do a newsletter that's much more broadly targeted it's written very much like a magazine article level there's no detail really it's much more marketing your project publicity for your project and that could be done through your staff magazine or your intranet sites or posters desk drops when a project goes live and that type of communication and the tools you've got available to you for that are very different to the types of communication and the tools that you would use to work with your team on getting tasks completed. And the other thing I think that the other tool that is worth mentioning as a tool for communication is a wiki or somewhere where you can dump all the knowledge, all the things that you're learning as you're going through the project, because you're kind of communicating to yourself, but in six months time, when somebody says, why did we make that decision? Or, you're handing over the project to another team, all the things that you've learnt and all the good lessons learned in the post-implementation review that you do, it, it's lost. If it goes into a document and it's filed in a drawer or an electronic drawer somewhere, whereas if it's in a searchable tool, the data is much more easily accessible and it's much more useful to people. Makes sense. Yeah, that, uh, great. I, I like the idea of the wiki. I'll definitely look into that. I have uh, I have one more question for you, and uh, this I think this does relate to the newsletter. Often we have to persuade others to 
help us on our project, um, what's the best, and those people from outside the team, let's say, or if it's a big company, you have to borrow somebody. Mm-hmm. You, a lot of times you need help from the outside. So I guess the best way to persuade or to, you know, to ask for help. It's similar to what we've touched on earlier in relation to looking at it from their point of view. So what's in it for them, really? Why should they get involved with your project? And there could be loads of different reasons. They could, it's exposure to a new area of the business, or it's a learning opportunity, or it's great networking, or they'll get some training or experience that they wouldn't get in their day job. And you can also involve their line manager, actually, if they need a little bit more persuading. I think there's also a question there about whether you are persuading someone to be part of your project or whether you are telling them that they are going to be part of your project. And that depends on the mandate that you have as a project manager and the kind of project that you're working on. Because if you are, you know, later in your career working on some big corporate transformational change project with a board level mandate to do something, often you will be in a position where you can, you can tell people that they need to complete tasks obviously tell them in the nicest possible way we're not I I don't advocate going around just you know the dictatorial style of command and control doesn't work anymore (laughs) I don't think it ever did but there's a difference between basically cajoling someone and asking them to be involved because you've got the power to ask and you're expecting them to say yes I don't know if I explained that very well but I suppose regardless of what the background is and the, the political context of why you're asking the best tip that's worked for me is to not be patronizing they won't understand what you're asking them because they don't understand the project but you need to be able to explain it to them in a way that doesn't make them feel stupid because if you can do that then they won't already be you know antagonized by your questions and they'll feel much more inclined to help and it's again coming back to talking their language avoiding jargon and and making out um the benefits for them what what can you offer them by them taking part in the project and it might be you know exchange of resources as well as all the softer skills around exposure and experience it might be something tangible that you can say which is you know you come and work on this project for three months and we will include your top requirements there might be some negotiation to be had that's it's it's all this is all great advice i really appreciate it yeah persuasion is a really an art if, if you understand your the person you're communicating to and what it is that motivates them, then it helps you with that persuasion method. So that you you know you, most people most people are looking for what is it what is it that I get out of this, and so if you can figure out that, that helps with that persuasion. You can do a bit of espionage beforehand because if you talk to their colleagues or talk to their line manager and say, I need some help from this person, how do you best think I should approach it? They'll probably say, oh, well, you know, he's in a dead-end job here. I can't give him any job opportunities. He would love this opportunity. Then you've already got a hook in. Whereas if you say, if the line manager then says, he's really motivated by money, so if you bunged him an extra you know, a, a bonus for completing the work, you know, you'd have him on side in an instant. The, the downside with that approach is that some line managers will say, you're having my staff over my dead body. 
and then you've got a different a different challenge <laughs> and then we can have that arranged <laughs> <laughs> that is a powerful project manager <laughs> that's the dictatorial style uh, well, I think that's all. That's all the questions I have and and had written down. I'm I'm certainly glad I wrote them all down ahead of time. It's just kind of hard to think of them on the fly. Well, let me ask this, Elizabeth. If you were to give Jared some tips other than the things that we've talked about, uh, it, you know, knowing that Jared is an aspiring project manager, what would those tips be? What would you What would you communicate to him? I would say that single biggest thing that you can do is to communicate more than you think you have to. And what I mean by that is that you say a message once, especially around vision, benefits, and the rationale for behind why you are doing the project. You have to keep communicating the same things over and over again, perhaps in slightly different ways, but it really helps people stay on track if they know why they're doing it and they're hearing the consistent message about the benefits, it's very clear to them to see how their work links in with the bigger picture. But generally, I think communicate more than you have to goes across the piece, whatever it is that you're trying to say to people, say it twice. Yeah, good good advice. Great advice. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Jared, other thoughts you're looking for or things that you can think of? I think I I just have to, to get in and actually do it and um, practice this advice and have hands-on experience uh, with this whole thing. That's the way I'm going to uh, feel what it's like to be a project manager. So the good news is that all of these things we've talked about, you can use in your role today. I'm sure that often you are asked to either report on something communicate some some progress or something to bite to management and to or and or to an existing project manager or something like that if you use these techniques uh, these things we've talked about in your day-to-day -day work today that's where you can get your practice from you know you're you're in a different role as a project manager but all of the the communication techniques and and skills that we develop through time, is usable regardless of whatever role you are in. In in your mind, think as you're doing as you're doing your communication in your current role as a project manager, how would I do this differently? And then do the communication in that form as best you can, and that will give you your practice. That's great to think about. There you know, in what I'm doing right now, there's there's really uh, very few people between the CEO and I, and uh, and so I just have to communicate to them and uh, just practice this style of communicating with the uh, with executives and uh, you know the top stakeholders. Something else that Elizabeth said early in our conversation is ask them how you're doing. If you ask. Somebody you're communicating, and you can practice probably with your wife. How how am I doing on communication, or are you understanding? And that feedback is is going to open up the channels of communication quite a bit. Yeah, that that's a very good idea. 
it's it's very hard. I mean, I um I, I telecommute, so I work from home, and in that case, a lot of stuff that comes my way is is kind of abstract. So in that case, I pick up the phone and I say, you know, let's talk about this. Some people don't like to use the phone, and you know, you have to realize who that is and and see if you can get them to uh, you know communicate a little bit better. That's good. That's another point. If you understand the way that other people learn or are able to hear and are able to communicate and communicate in their language or in their method, as you mentioned, some people, you know, especially I'm, I'm thinking the younger crowd, their communication might be tending to go towards texting or short communication like that. And a different generation might want to have communication in a different way. So you need to recognize that, that, that each individual is different. You have to be careful also that you're not going to overwhelm yourself as a project manager because if you try to custom to every individual, you're going to drive yourself nuts too. So it's a, it's a challenge. It's a fun thing. So Elizabeth, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Been Thank so you for helpful. having me. Jared, any Thank last thing, comments or questions you, before we hang, hang up? No, I just uh, want to thank you, Elizabeth. And, and that was, uh, it was great speaking to you. And that was some great advice. I appreciate you answering my questions. No problem. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thanks, Jared. Have a great day, you guys. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. There you have it. I know that if you are an aspiring project manager or even a seasoned PM, you have heard great communications tips. Thank you, Elizabeth, for taking the time to help Jared become a project manager. Now, I have to tell you, as an American, I absolutely loved listening to Elizabeth speak. What a beautiful voice and that accent. Wow. Thank you, Elizabeth. I hope I didn't embarrass you there, but that was a great session. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about the upcoming sessions. We're going to be focusing on the important project management behaviors that Naomi Kayedi had pointed out to us in, in the previous sessions. So we're going to take some time to talk about those different behaviors in different sessions. Recently, Jared and I had a session with another great communicator from Britain, Suzanne Madsen. So she's going to actually join us for the next couple of sessions. We had one conversation with her, but it was a long session, so I'm going to break it up into a couple of sessions. We really talked about two different topics. First, building trust with your project team and other stakeholders, and how to motivate your project team. She was great in those sessions. She really helped Jared along. So I look forward to bringing those to you in the next couple of sessions. Now, I want to remind you that if you're an aspiring project manager, or just wanting to learn a little bit more about project management, I'm putting together a free course. It's not ready yet still, but I am, I'm working on that, and that will help you become a project manager. So it'll be a free course. If you want to find out or you want to be an, alerted to that when it's available, go to sensiblepm.com slash 29. There you will be able to, to see a place where you can sign up for uh, notifications when that is ready. That's also where you can find the show notes for this session. Again, that's sensiblepm.com slash 29. Now, if you would do me a couple of favors. First, I'm just loving doing the, having this session with uh, Jared. And so I'd like to have you spread the word, if you would. If you would just share with other project managers 
take one, at least one project manager or aspiring project manager that you know and share with them this podcast so that they can enjoy these sessions as well. And secondly, if you would go to iTunes and leave me a review, I would especially love it if it was a five-star review, but, but if not, I at least love to have the feedback. Now, when you give a review on iTunes, that provides a way for feedback to get there to iTunes, and it makes it more visible for those that are consuming podcasts. So please go and give me a feedback at iTunes and leave me a, hopefully a five-star review. Now to close out, remember, a sensible project manager always looks for a practical way to lead a project to success. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Sensible Project Manager, Mark Philippi, on the Sensible Project Manager podcast. To learn more about practical project management, visit us at sensiblepm.com. I'm so grateful for you to be able to spend some time. This is the first time you and I have been able to, to chat. So thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. And you don't look a bit like your picture. Oh, you, well, does this help? Thumbs Let's see if I picture. do this. <laughs> yeah, that's no, no, it identical. <laughs> uh, well, it, it's amazing what Photoshop will do.